0: Please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy that has been sung and proclaimed here faithfully this morning. God, I pray that our imaginations would be able to comprehend. A good shepherd, a good shepherd and overseer of our souls who at the same time oversees and watches a servant, a faithful servant like Stephen, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus being stoned to death and dying for that. Lord, help us to trust you in the midst of This morning, God, as we come to your Holy Scripture, that we would trust you in the midst of our suffering and our pain and acknowledge here this morning by faith that you have not abandoned our soul. You have not abandoned our soul. You are the shepherd and overseer of our souls, and you are good, even though it might not feel like that this morning. So we ask that you would impress that upon our hearts this morning by faith. We need you to make that happen. We ask you to do that now by your spirit. Uh, be with us as we turn to your Holy Scripture and the preaching of your word. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. I encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 T- Peter chapter 2 and our, our uh, reading from 13 through 25, which Liam did so great reading for us this morning. Jacob and Liam, you guys had hard readings this morning, and I'm very impressed by your by your reading skills. So here's the question that I want to reflect on here this morning. How can I, or how can you, live with joy? That's the question. That's the question this morning that I want to reflect upon. Joyful. Be joyful. Truly joyful right now in the present. Not some future hope, although that is, that's part of the equation, but right now in the present. Peter's first letter is filled with images. It's filled with images from the very first sentences. He begins his letter with a refiner's fire. This is the image, and kids, if you're used to Minecraft, you know exactly how this works. Uh, gold comes from melting away impurities. Melting away all the rock and the impurities, and what is left behind is gold. It's the imperishable result. Jesus is also the spotless blemish blemishless lamb in this letter. He is planting us like seed. So all of us are seed that he's casting to the ground, but unlike grass and flowers that die in the winter, and this is kind of what normal seed does, Jesus plants a crop that will remain forever. That's a really interesting image. Jesus is also building us up together. We are like stones, he says, Peter says, we're like stones that are stacked one upon the other into a house, and Jesus is the foundation stone. But if you're not part of that house, Jesus is also a different image related. He's a stone that you trip on, on a path. I've been there before many times. My ankles can attest. So he is either the cornerstone of the house that we're all built up into, or else he is the stone that we trip upon. Now, all of these images for Peter are put inside of a story, okay? So, there are images, and then there is a story. Peter writes to exiles, and this is a provocative word. It should trigger our imaginations. People who are not at home yet, that's what an exile is. Someone who is not at home, they live in a foreign land. Recalling the story of Israel, even as God saved His people out of slavery from Egypt, you guys are familiar with this, and then again out of Babylon, as they were exiles on their way to the Promised Land. This this is the story he recalls, and they didn't listen. They were on their way to the promise, but they didn't listen upon the way, and they died in the wilderness. So Peter writes with images to exile. So. Images inside of a story to exiles in a strange land, exiles tempted to despair along the way, to despair along the way. So again, the question, how can I, how can you and I live with joy, live with joy? Let's turn our attention back to the text. I'm going to walk through the text pretty simply here this morning starting in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 2. And he's turning, he's making the turn as he has, he has some exposition here, right? So we have images, we have story, and now here's some application, some exposition in the midst of that. He's going to get to another really big image at the end of our text, which we'll get to in a few minutes. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So right here at the start, he says, in effect, to us here this morning, honor the president, even if you don't like him. Honor Governor Jim, even if you don't like him. Honor every bureaucrat in the foreign land in which you live right now. This, you're in exile in a strange land. Honor them. Why? Why does he say this? Peter says that even authorities, and think about his context, even authorities like corrupt Rome, who will crucify Peter one day, even this authority is sent by God to reward good and punish bad. Isn't that remarkable? He can say this of Rome, of Rome, which is pretty messed up, and it depends on where you're at, right? That's always true of any government. but they' are sent by God to reward good and punish bad. There are no ifs. There's no ifs. If they do this or if they do that, God is in control even in the midst of their exile in this foreign land, give the authorities honor. So he starts with, do that. With very little explanation, just do that. It's good for your soul. Do that. Verse 15, he continues, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. He expands the honor. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and restating what he said earlier, honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. So even as you walk in exile, you are free. You are out, out of slavery, you are now free from Egypt, you're now free from Babylon. Christ has set you free from hell. So he's drawing this analogy to the church that he's writing to. So now, church, don't be evil. Okay, it's pretty simple. Don't be evil, don't do bad stuff. You are free, Peter says. You are free now, but the only way to be free, Peter says, is to be bound, is to go from one master and now to be bound by another master, Christ. You are now his servant, the Apostle Paul says. You are a loss of God. You are a servant or a slave of finally a master who loves you and lay down his life for you. The kind of master, the kind of king that you would actually want to follow. So obey him in righteous living. This is how he continues: love one another in the church, fear God, honor everyone. This is the exhortation. So let me pause for just one second. I, I get. I get. You know, Chris, I understand why I might need some exhortation to honor an emperor who I don't like, or to honor everyone else out there because I might be tempted to not honor those people. But he also adds this exhortation love the brotherhood. And this is a little bit of an aside, but it's an important aside. Love the brotherhood. In many ways, the hardest people. The hardest people to love are those who are closest to you. You know why that is? Because they're close to you. <laughs> Just ask my wife. Good friendships often end when they become business partnerships. Maybe you've been there. Live together in the dorm with your best friend from high school your freshman year of college. That I've seen that not work out many, many times before. Any arrangement, here's the deal, any arrangement where you live or you work in close proximity or closer intimacy with people around you is more difficult. It's actually more difficult. You're closer to another center for a prolonged amount of time, and this exposes you. And so, like the people of Israel who were living in tents in the wilderness, and if you have tent camped for any few days, you understand how challenging that can be upon relationships, even really good relationships. So in the midst of the admonition to honor everyone else out there, especially our authorities, even pagan presidents, Peter says, make sure you love these people, these brothers and sisters who are near you. Loving your enemies, in other words, loving your enemies out there, doesn't exempt you from loving your neighbor, the ones that are really close to you. So, moving on, verse 18, First Peter chapter 2, and verse 18. Servants, he, he repeats this word again slaves, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to do, not to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So, in case you weren't clear, the ones who you're supposed to be subject to who you're supposed to honor it's not just the good ones but the bad ones as well for this is a gracious thing it's a it's a means of grace to you when you are mindful of god one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it you endure but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So if you're a bad guy and you get punished for that, that's just, he says. It's, it's, you've got what's coming to you. But if you're good and you still suffer, you suffer unjustly, this is a gracious thing. This is a gift. So let's talk a little bit about how much we love authority in our culture. You get the sarcasm there for a second? Okay, so emperors or parents, whatever your authorities are, presidents, governors, priests, bosses, slave masters, it's it's not a list that you generally want to be among in our culture. It is one thing to love someone in authority over you when they are the good people, it is an entirely different thing when they're wicked, when they're outright wicked. Nero, again, this is really important to understanding this, Nero, who is the emperor supreme, he is the supreme emperor, supremely good at crucifying Christians and setting them on fire around his garden to light it up at night. Bodies aflame to light up his garden at night. This is the cultural context for humans in exile. So I don't think it gets any worse than that. It doesn't get any worse than a Nero-like pagan ruler and we've experienced many of us have experienced that intimately sometimes inside the church this kind of gentile like false bad authority who domineers over you the gospel breaks into the dirty streets of human sin no matter the kingdom into murderous roman state into the hills and hollers of corrupt local authorities, into the antiseptic services in abortion clinics, into all of this. No matter how we look outwardly this morning, the gospel breaks into our broken homes. And guess what? All of our homes are messed up. Trust me. Trust me. You can come over and actually see it on display many days in my home. So he says, be humble. Not only to the good, but to the evil. Respect and honor Nero, even as you endure suffering unjustly. Suffering that is not something that you should have had coming to you. Verse 21. 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. For to this you have been called. This calling. Because, why? Because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He, Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Very often we earn our own suffering. You guys know that? We, we get what's coming to us. Everything that he received was not earned. It was taken upon him for us. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Here's the next image, and perhaps the, the central image in this letter that ties everything together. That of Jesus, who is the shepherd, or else the bishop of your souls. He's writing to a church, who are suffering, people who are suffering, and he says, you, Christian, right now are in the midst of a place and a space that is governed right now by a good shepherd and overseer of your souls, no matter what it feels like. Suffering, reviling death in this space meets patient endurance, healing, and life. This is the central image in our text. Anticipate this. If they did this to your Lord, what happens if you follow your Lord? They're going to do this to you. And that's okay. Christians say we want to be like Jesus. We don't. We actually don't most of the time. Do we? Right? You guys have experienced Christians like this. This is what it looks like to say we want to be like Jesus. He is the goal. He is the aim. He is the example. He's also our good shepherd who rules over us and oversees us. He's the emperor of our souls. So he's, he's an overseer who sees it all. He is the only gracious master of us, his servants. To be with him and in him and at the same time by him to be made like him. All of this is coming together here in this text. So again, the question, how do I live with joy? How do you and I live with joy in the midst of this story? And let me just say it again, the story that looks like all of our stories, Frederick Buechner said a long time ago that all of the human stories are the same story. And what he was saying and it's, I think it's in large part really true. It's a story of different kinds of suffering. To one degree or another, all of our stories are broken. They're messed up. How do I live in the midst of that exile? In this strange land where I never feel like I'm at home? Where I'm always tired and parched and alone. I'm in this wilderness. How do you do this? Here are these verses just again. And then I'll make my one point. Verse 19, for this, all of this that we've been saying this morning, this is a gracious thing. It is a means of grace to us when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God of God grace and grace it's a gracious thing it's a gracious thing how does it become how does all this mess become a grace to us how does it become a grace to us it's this we have to receive our suffering as a gift your suffering Christian is a gift from God so here's the next question do you receive suffering in this life as a gracious thing? <laughs> I, I very often don't, okay? I don't, and I think you're probably with me. Is life, all of it, all of it that comes to us, a gift? And Peter presents it as a choice, a real choice for us, to walk in in the midst of this exile like a child at christmas time for your whole life you've been anticipating being welcomed into this good shepherd's pasture into his home for christmas and you sit down and you're ready to tear off the wrapping paper of this gift that he's given to you and it, you open it up and like a child you go i don't like this gift i don't like sweaters Has anybody given a sweater to your child at Christmas? I don't like sweaters. I want games, you know. You said you'd free me from slavery. You didn't say I would have to walk through all of this on my way to the promise. You didn't say I'd have to do that. I didn't really want to open up that present. So the choice is set before us, not not just a big sort of like, metaphysical, way far out there, theological kind of choice. It's set before us multiple times a day, thousands of times a day, some of us more than others. And some of us, the choice is a lot harder. Some of us are in the midst of profound pain, and it could be physical pain, emotional pain, all kinds of suffering, more than I've ever known. And this is still our choice. Do you receive your suffering as a gift? Here's the unavoidable reality of living. As you get older, and kids, I want you to hear me here. As you get older, responsibility grows and trouble grows with it. Can I get an amen? Yes, it does. So, for example, when you're younger, you wreck your bike, and the consequences of that might be a skinned knee. That's not too bad. It's pretty terrible. We, we all know that experience. I really don't want to experience that, even now. But you get older, and you start driving not a bike, but a car, you could go to jail for manslaughter. Right? The, the consequences are rising. A terrible high school dating relationship is one thing, and a failing marriage is a completely different thing. Falling from monkey bars and breaking your arm grows into things like cancer or things like miscarriage or dementia, or you could go on and on. We all have a different story. It's hard growing up, it's hard living in the midst of this exile story. It's hard when you're young. It's not not easy when you're young. But we live in exile and we're not home yet. All of us are not home. To live in exile means bearing burdens. There's no avoiding it. To live longer is to bear more burdens. Even with the good shepherd and the overseer of our souls overseeing this. This is what he intends for us. If you follow Jesus your burden bearing, your ever-increasing suffering can be received with ever-increasing joy. This is a choice that we have hundreds, if not thousands of times a day. Now, let me say this. This is, I I know I can be a pessimist. I can be a pessimist. This isn't pessimism. Neither is this just sort of like a like a realism, I'm just being real with you, or something like that. I'm so tired of my tendency to be, one, to be a realist, and what I mean by that is someone who complains a lot or, or else disguises my complaint with sarcasm all the time. Anybody there with me? It's usually not very funny. It's usually not very funny. Uh, people don't like that bad joke. So here's the challenge to myself and maybe to you More and more, I want to stop complaining about hard things, challenges, suffering. I certainly want to stop complaining about my children. Multiplying children in your home means multiplying burden bearing. And I'm not talking just about a little home, my home where I sleep at night, but this, this household. The more people get in here, the more burdens that heap up. And there were all called to bear with one another. But the Christian parent, with faith, with hope, with love, the Christian, all of us are Christian parents. As your family grows, your joy should grow too. Your burdens are going up, but the joys are going up too. We can receive this as a gift in Christ. So, will you receive? Your children as a gift. And hear me, not just your biological children, but all of your adopted children in the faith. Church, will you rise up alongside mothers and fathers, alongside single parents, alongside your kids, alongside families of every kind? Doesn't matter how they're shaped. And will you serve them with joy? Which is to say, will you, will you bear it with them? Will you bear it with them? Maybe, maybe that's not your challenge. Maybe you're on the other side of that. Maybe you're not in a, chao- a chaotic mess that leads to the frenzy that makes you a whiner or complainer like me. Maybe you're really feeling lonely this morning, multiplying hours at home alone. And this can be whether you're single or divorced or widowed or an empty nester, that feeling is a tough feeling, or you're in a lonely marriage, or you're married and un- unable to have children, to bear children. It's not good to be alone. A lot of us feel this a lot. Daily and monthly and yearly cycles of grief are burdens too heavy to carry alone. And so we're invited, even in the midst of this exile and this suffering, to give it to Jesus Will you choose to receive your present suffering as a gift? That's the choice before us today. Church, will you rise up alongside lonely brothers and sisters in Christ? I would venture to say a majority of people here in the room this morning. Will you invite them into your home and proclaim the good news of Jesus with your life, the good news that they are not alone? Good shepherd, the overseer of their souls, has given us to one another. You're not alone. So this is, this is your choice. You can receive your suffering as a gift, or you can't. Your suffering is a gift. The rest of Peter's letter is like a how-to guide for exiles, for downcast souls of whatever shape, whatever your story is, for husbands who perpetually put their foot in their mouth, there's some instruction for you. For the serially sarcastic and for the complainers, these are all applying to me, but you can, you can find applications for you. How are you going to receive your life, your real life, not some fanciful fiction Christian life that somewhere you think someone's living? I don't know that person. Your real life... Your exile story that you've been given, how can you receive it with joy? You either do it with joy or you do it with bitterness. That's, those are the options. Joy or bitterness. So just, just a quick two lines for uh, theologians in this room, especially my beloved Reformed theologians like me. This is not positive psychology or wake-up-and-smile Joel Osteen theology. Okay, it's not it's not that, but it is a choice. Clearly, it's a choice. Your suffering can or it can't be a gift. This is what we choose. So again, here's the question, how? As we turn towards the end, how do we actually make this happen? Uh, and And I've said this in many ways over and over again, and this isn't one of my two points of how to actually make this happen, but you can't do it by yourself. Okay? Let me just say that. If you think you can do it by yourself, you won't do it. You will not make it. You will not make it alone. Nobody can stay a follower of anything by themselves. So don't try to go it alone. But here's my first help. Discipline yourself to interact with actual people. Okay? What do I mean by that? Here's a question you can ask. Here's a question you can ask today. Are you... A serial consumer of Netflix stories more than you are interested in the living, breathing, walking, and talking stories that are sitting right next to you. That's what, I mean, we all have an exile story, and they're really interesting. If you, if you listen to one another, if you sit at a table with somebody and actually have a conversation, there's a lot of really, really cool stories in this room. Better than Netflix stories Go on a walk and talk. Let the battery on your phone die for a few days. That's okay. Uh, speaking of, I found an old phone with no SIM card in here that was dead on the ground, so we have that somewhere. It's, I, think, I think we have that. It's probably, I don't know. Anyway. Do you want to walk in exile with joy? You have to do it side by side with people. Discipline yourself to interact with real people and finally sing. And, and, and I mean this, not again, not as a melody, but as a harmony. And you might be singing in a minor key right now. Find someone who's singing in a major key to come alongside you and harmonize in your minor key. You might, you might be in a minor key and you see someone else who's rejoicing. They're on cloud nine. They're in a major key. You can sing with them, too. Even in the midst of your suffering, you can sing with them too. Sing the psalms. We, we spoke a psalm here this morning. Let it fill your mind, fill your heart with the melodies of rejoicing as you walk through the wilderness of exile. Hear this song. We said it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The shepherd and overseer of your soul, you're in his pasture. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's still overseeing, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He's still watching over you. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What are the enemies doing inside the shepherd's pasture? What's going on here? You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Sing songs. And it doesn't have to be psalms. You don't have to be some hootie-tootie Anglican. You can sing the song we we sang earlier. Sing at church. Sing in your car. Sing when you're angry. Sing when you're sad. Sing. And this is a command over and over in Scripture. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice. And again I say, rejoice. Because it's hard to do that. So if you want to have joy, you've got to sing. I don't know any other way to get me out of a mood than a good song. The shepherd and overseer of your soul, he invites us. He sees us in the midst of our suffering, in our exile. He sees us, and he is there. He's guiding you in the midst of the trial. I'm going to end with a big block quote. Okay, it's a good one, and Sam will really like it because it's from G.K. Chesterton's Orthodoxy. I, I, I imagine actually, and I'm kind of summarizing a lot. He's got a lot of run-on, massive four-page-long paragraphs. This is Chesterton. I love Chesterton. I can imagine him, though, reflecting on the good shepherd and the overseer of his soul when he writes this. Joy, which was the small publicity of the pagan, is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Joy. The tremendous figure which fills the Gospels towers in this respect his pathos was natural almost casual the stoics ancient and modern were proud of concealing their tears he never concealed his tears he showed them plainly on his open face at any daily sight yet he concealed something he concealed something Solemn supermen are proud of restraining their anger. He never restrained his anger. He flung furniture down the front steps of the temple and asked men how they expected to escape the damnation of hell. Yet, he restrained something. I say it with reverence. There was in that shattering personality a thread that must be called shyness. Jesus, the good shepherd, the overseer of our souls. I'm loving this. He is, it it could be called shyness. There was something that he hid from all men when he went up a mountain to pray. There was something that he covered constantly by abrupt silence or impetuous isolation. There was some one thing that was too great for God to show us when he walked upon our earth. And I have sometimes fancied that it was his joy. That it was his great mirth, his joy. For this is a gracious thing. This is a gift, Christian. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But... If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.